this morning, you probably noticed something a little bit different in our worship service, part of the, the flow that, that we've done different in how we're going to be doing worship services. We've added in what's called a pastoral prayer. And this is something I just want to give a bit of context as to why we're doing this. Because one of the principles that, that guides the, the gathered service, as we gather together as a church family, is that this time together, this gathering is meant to be conversational. And what I mean by that is we gather together as a community of believers to hear from God. Like we come together collectively to to hear the preaching of God's word, to sit under the authority of his word, to hear from him. But it's also an opportunity for the church family together for God to hear from us. There's this dialogue that happens that as we sing, we are singing our praises, our worship to God who is worthy. But prayer is also an important element of that, and specifically to pray for the needs that are represented within our, our congregation, to, to pray for the needs that, that are represented within our community and our world. Ligonier Ministries says this, that you'll see on the screen, that we believe that when we gather on Sundays, we meet with God. We meet with God to, to hear from him and for him to hear from us. What goes on is something of a divine dialogue. This thoughtful liturgy will be structured to reflect this back and forth nature of that encounter. And so this is something in our emphasis, we don't want to just talk about the importance of prayer. We want to model and participate in that together. And so each Sunday, we're going to have a different elder up here praying over and for the congregation. Now, there's a way that we need your participation in that. And one way is, how can we be praying for you? And so you're going to see on the screen, using our Church Center app, there's a button right on there that's for prayer. All you have to do is is click that and let us know how we can be praying. Now, there's a section on there that says, are we able to share that when we pray publicly? Or is this just something for the elders? We pray for the congregation together in private when the elders gather together. But we also want to be able to share that with the, the congregation. But we want your permission to be able to do that. And so what what we're asking from you is how can we be praying for one another? How can we share in that together as we gather together to bring that before God together? So we're excited about this step. You're going to be seeing this um, in the coming weeks. You're also going to be seeing in the coming weeks, we're going to have like scripture reading and different people within the congregation reading that scripture to make this a participatory. It's not a production. This is a participatory gathering of God's people. And so that's our heart. That's kind of why you're seeing what you're seeing and and why you're seeing this at it. So if you will turn with me, if you have the scripture journals, we're going to be on the top of page 14 as we continue in our series through Colossians. Now, if you don't have one of these, we're going to be in Colossians chapter three, verses 18 through chapter four, verse one. So I wanted to give a bit of background again, but I'm kind of like wondering at what point is this too redundant? So I'm going to do a quiz. Sorry, I know. See, it's easy when you're listening. You're like, yeah, I remember perfectly. But if you remember, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, right? And do you remember me saying like, okay, someone heard Paul preach in another town. He brought the gospel here. But the church in Colossae is between two cultural tension points. 
Can you tell me what one of those are? <laughs> the silence. Is somebody whispering it? What is it? Rome? Yeah, th- there is this point of like you have the Roman gods. Like you have on, on one point, there's this cultural context of like, hey, worship whoever you want. Right? There's many gods. Give them whatever name you want. Worship them however you want. Do whatever you want. And so the church is like, is getting pulled in this direction. Then in the other direction, you have this, yes, legalistic Judaizers. That's this great phrase, right? It's these people who are saying, no, see, there's only one God, but you have to worship him this way. This is how the culture says, here's our man-made traditions. God will only be pleased if you do it the way we say. And then Paul's coming in and he's saying, he's extolling Christ as central. He's saying Christ is above all of this. Christ is central. He is preeminent. Here's some of the things that we've heard as we've started the series. That Christ is the substance of our faith, right? He's the substance, the object of our faith. He's the source of our faith. That we come to God acknowledging our brokenness, our weakness, so that we might be filled with his strength. That we've learned that Jesus is above all things. Remember, there was this illustration that it is by him that all things are created, right? It is through him that that all things were created. It's ultimately for him that all things were created, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. This is who Christ is. And because of who he is, we can walk with God. So why would we follow human traditions when we can walk with the God who has accomplished everything on our behalf? Why would we give way to to man-made traditions when we have the substance of Christ that we don't follow shadows? We follow the substance of Jesus. Last week, Gene shared with us how this culmination, it's kind of this hinge point of Colossians, that it says, look at all that Christ has done. We receive that. Like this changes us. We receive the reality of who Christ is. And as we receive that, we now reflect that in what we do. See, we receive all the things that Christ has done. We receive Christ before we can follow his commands. And there's this reflecting that happens out of everything that's preceded. And and here's what's important. When we look at Paul's letters, there's a structure that's often found. See, on on one side, it typically begins with this, all the theology, the doctrine, who God is. And then so often, the, the latter half is this idea of, okay, now this is what we're called to do. This is how we're called to live. We are at this transition point in the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at all that Christ has done. And Paul's going to say, if you look at 317, this this is the, the, the hinge, this is that center pivot point. And whatever you do, Whatever you do now, in, in, in your word, in what you say, and in your actions, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, now in response to all that we have learned, Paul's about to apply this to the most intimate, personal areas of our life. Our home. Our home into our our spouse, our marriages, our, our parenting. He's going to apply it to, to our, our work and the things that take the majority of our time in life. He's going to say, take all these truths of who Christ is and let that transform now our homes. That when Jesus is exalted over our family and work, We can build our home according to God's design and desire. Jesus is over everything, and that includes Jesus being over our marriages, Jesus being over our children, our parenting, and our jobs. And as we surrender all of that to him, we will experience flourishing and joy. So let's pray. And then I'm going to actually, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand as I pray for us and then read these verses over us. Again, we're going to be in Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. So let me begin by praying for us. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning. Lord, that we can both share the, the needs and the longings within our congregation and then we can sit under the authority of your word, Lord. That we need to hear from you. Lord, we don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that as your word is read, that your spirit would move. Lord, that your word would bring comfort that it would bring conviction where needed and it would bring the transformation as we hold to the realities of Christ. Lord, let your word and the beauty of it shine in and through our lives. And in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning in 3.18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and, and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord, Christ For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done. And there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. This is God's word. You may be seated. So as you can see, Paul's jumping right into it, right? And whatever you do in word and deed... Do it 
in the name of the Lord. And then he's jumping right in with that first phrase, wives, submit yourselves to your husband. These are unpopular words in today's culture. I'm assuming some of you are are thankful that you're not up here speaking on this. There's a conflict within our cultural narrative that often views this these words through the lens of abuse, domineering, control, that ultimately leads to questioning biblical authority and should we even apply the biblical text to our modern context. But I want to be clear that as I preach on these words this morning, I am not going to preach them through a cultural lens. I'm not going to preach them through this idea of everything that it doesn't mean. I'm going to preach it through the lens that this is God's word. That I believe that God's word is complete, that it is true, and that it is without error. That that God's word is universally applicable to all people across all cultures at all times. I'm going to preach it from the perspective that God's word and obedience to it leads to our flourishing and our joy. And that Jesus is rightfully over everything in our life, including how we view marriage and including how we view parenting and work. It speaks to these realities. And so we're going to look at it through this lens of then what is this saying to husbands, to wives, to children? What does it mean that wives should submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting to the Lord. When we look at the foundation of marriage, as it was established in the Garden of Eden, you'll remember that that God created everything. And he says, it's good. It's very good. But then he looked at Adam and he says, not good. He says, it's not good for man to, to be alone. And so God created a helper corresponding to him. Someone who was to come alongside. So the question is, what does this word submit mean? Because it's different than what's commanded of children. Children are commanded to obey. This isn't saying wives obey your husbands. It's saying wives submit to your husbands. It's... One general definition is as an equal in value to voluntarily offer oneself to another in willing support. Think about this for a moment. As someone equal in value to voluntarily offer oneself in willing support. We need to look no further than Christ to see this demonstrated in Philippians 2. Is Jesus God? Is he fully God? Is he equal to God the Father? Is he lesser in any way? And yet it says he humbled himself. It's the same word here. He submitted himself to the Father, becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. We see someone who modeled what this means. 
for us. It's in the path of Christ. Practically applying this. One commentary I read by Daniel Atkins said, Wives should, should offer themselves to their husbands with heartfelt respect and admiration in ways that honor them, lift them up, and help meet their needs. It was this phrase that I found helpful. Respectfully lift up your husband. What is God calling wives to? To respectfully lift up your husband in word and action. Think about this. For for wives here, what does this look like? How are you respectfully lifting up your husband with the words that you choose to say? The tone in which you say it. In the way you address your husband, is it respectful? Or is it cutting and disrespectful? Is it lifting them up? Or is it cutting them down and controlling? Well, What are the words that you're choosing to say? What are the actions? Would you say that that, that are your actions respectful and lifting up? Or do your actions undermine, nag, control? And the scripture calls us in each of these categories to not just do them if the other person deserves it. Not just, well, if my husband loved me more, then I would respect him and lift him up. But uh, quite honestly, he doesn't deserve it, so I'm not going to do it. It's calling us to do this as to the Lord. Because of who he is and in response to him, not in response to the other person. To husbands. Love your wives and don't be bitter towards them. To love your wife. And in Ephesians, the the Apostle Paul goes on to, to, to elaborate on this. And it says to love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Selflessly and sacrificially, he loved the church. That husbands, you're commanded to, to lay aside your own needs, your own wants, your own desires to serve selflessly and sacrificially your wife. We can only help to, to, we can only hope to reflect to our wives what we ourselves have received in all these cases. It's like, well, how can I respectfully lift up My husband, how can I selflessly and sacrificially love my wife unless we have first received what Christ has done? When there's any doubt, how do I do these things? Go back and read 1 1 through 317 of Colossians. In light of who Christ is and what he has done, we receive that so that we can reflect it in these most intimate areas of relationship. Culturally, I think much has been said derogatorily about the Bible and its call for wives to submit to your husbands. I don't think as much has been said about the husband's command to love the wife. 
in the kind of love that the scripture calls husbands to. Husbands are called to do the same as what Christ has done for the church, to love their wives with selfless sacrifices. That means husbands, we're not demanding our way, we're laying down our wants. We're not demanding and controlling that our needs be met. We're laying down our lives to serve our wives. It means we sacrifice. And we don't look to ourselves. We look to our spouse. And we lay down our lives every single day to love selflessly and sacrificially. And it goes on because I think it's as if God knows the heart of man, right? Because it doesn't just say love your wives. It also says, and don't be bitter about it. Right? Like, I can speak to some of this as a man because to be bitter, let me put it this way, it means to cut, to prick. It is pointed and sharp. It means to not just be bitter, but to make something else bitter. So let's be real. Sometimes when we're selfless and we're sacrificial, we get annoyed and we say, well, what about me? Nobody seems to notice. Nobody cares. Nobody pays attention to all the things that I deny. So they have. And then our tone and our actions become sharp. Those little comments that cut that bring down the the remarks that are said from an embittered soul. And God's saying to husbands, look, love your wives with selflessness and with sacrifice and protect your heart from becoming bitter about doing that. The only way that happens is through reliance on what we receive from Christ. If I do this in my own effort, there is a finite ability It is only possible when we first receive the fullness of the reality of all that Christ has done. And only then can I step into what Christ is commanding here. So husbands, let me ask you, how are you loving your wife selflessly and sacrificially with your words? Are your words cutting? Are they sharp? Are are, are there comments that are coming from bitterness in your soul? Are are, are your words demanding of your own way and your own wants and your own desires? Or, Or are you laying down your preferences to serve and to love and to lift up your wife? What about your actions? Again, pulling from 317, in word and in deed, do all of this to Christ. In our actions, are we laying down our lives or are we demanding, controlling, domineering? This is where all that we've learned, all the weeks leading up, now Paul is, is applying this directly to our homes. And then it goes on. It doesn't just stop there. 
Notice what it says. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on Paul's letters, says this. Speaking of, of kind of that first part, children, that this verse is directed to those who are young and continue to live under the supervision and provision of their earthly parents. I think this is important that we kind of distinguish who is this referring to? Like I have a child who's still living at home. This verse applies to them. (laughs) She's right there smiling at me. I have other children who are here who do not live at home, who are married, who have left their mother and father and are clinging to their spouse. And Douglas Moo says this, that this verse is directed to those who are young and continue to live under the supervision and provision of their earthly parents. There's a distinction here. That this passage, like if you're out of the home and you're married, this is, you're still supposed to honor your mother and father, but it, it, this passage is not applying to them of like to obey them and what this is saying. But if, if a child is living under the covering of their parents at home in supervision and provision, then this passage applies to them. And it's this term obey. It's different than what was said to wives. This is obey, to, to humbly listen to to follow. And it's like, really? Yes. In everything? Yes. In everything. Why? This pleases the Lord. In all these teachings, this doesn't require submission to this idea of obedience to anything that's unbiblical or immoral or illegal. Like, I'm praying that, that we have enough common sense to know it's not speaking to that. But I think oftentimes I've had children and having worked with youth and it's like, you know, I want to do God's will and, and, and what's God's will for my life? And well, it kind of starts, are you listening to your parents? Wow, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but it begins there. Humbly listening to parents is a recognition of God and authority. And I know I'm not perfect. But there's this harmony that Scripture calls us to. This harmony that happens that when the the wife is respectfully lifting up her husband, when the husband is sacrificially and selflessly loving his wife, when when children are obeying their parents, and then it's going to go on to talk to parents and how they relate to kids. There's harmony in the household. That is God's design and desire. For the flourishing of the home. And so, to children. It's the question, are you humbly listening to your parents? Like, in your words. In the way we talk about one another. And I would apply this to wives, to husbands, and to children. Not just the way we speak to that person, but the way we speak about them when they're not present. Is it just as respectful, just as honoring, just as selflessly, just as humble and obedient for children? In our actions, not just saying, yeah, 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 I'll do that, and then ignoring what parents say. But the way that we honor God as children 
is to obey our parents. And then it goes on to say, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I I used to like to jokingly change this with my kids. And I'd be like, the Bible says children don't exasperate your father. Then they'd be like, no, it doesn't. I'm like, I know it doesn't, but it should. Like, (laughs) there's this sense, but it's not saying that. It's saying fathers do not exasperate your children. And even though it's using the paternal, the fathers here, I do believe it's appropriate to say fathers and mothers. Like, is, is what it's saying, like in parenting. Like, this isn't just saying, it's saying how wives should relate to their husbands, how husbands relate to their wives, how children relate to their parents, and how parents, how we're supposed to relate to our children. And it's like, it's saying, do not exasperate them. It means do not discourage. This leads to discouragement. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not become discouraged. So what does it mean to exasperate? It means to irritate to frustrate. One commentary said, practically speaking, this involves enforcing a legalistic standard that demands perfection. It creates unreasonable expectations and it constantly berates, constantly irritates. And we must avoid this form of parenting so that our children will not become discouraged. Now, here's the thing. If you're like me, I hope none of us go in with the intention to irritate our children or to exasperate our children. (coughs) But when we look at this, there's this moment in my life, this story I have whenever I read this passage that comes to mind. I, I had just, I pulled into the driveway from work. I had meetings and I pulled into the driveway and one of my sons had just mowed the lawn and trimmed. And he's sweating, he's bringing in the, the trimmer. And I noticed there was a place along the fence that he had missed. There was some grass that had grown up. And I get out of the car and, and my mind typically goes to what's not right. And the first words as I got out of the car is, hey bud, you missed a spot. And the reaction was instantaneous. It's never good enough. It's never enough. It's never right. No thank you, no good job, just here's what you did wrong. Now here's the thing. He was not reacting to just the lawn. Right? Like we know that. He was reacting to a pattern. A pattern I didn't even realize. A frustration that was being built up in him. And in that moment, he walked away broken and I stood there broken. And I realized I'd been exasperating my children. I say that because I don't want us to too quickly move on and say, well, of course I don't exasperate my children. I don't expect perfection. And I thought I didn't either. And then something like that happens and you're like, maybe I was frustrating them in ways. Maybe they felt more berated than encouraged. That we're called to be patient and compassionate 
not shackling them with guilt and shame, but encouraging them with kindness, mercy, and understanding. So parents, it's that same application. Are we exasperating our children with our words? What do they hear from us? Not what do we feel or what do we think, but what is ultimately heard and experienced through the words we choose to speak or don't speak? Is it that it's never enough? It's never good enough. You're always wrong. You're always disobeying. You're never good enough. What about our actions and the way we treat our children? Do you see the harmony that God has designed and desires for our household? In these passages of how wives relate to husbands, respectfully lifting them up, husbands laying down their lives selflessly and with sacrifice to serve and love and lead their wife. Children listening to their parents and parents who are kind and compassionate and not irritating their children. This is what it looks like. When we look again at 317 and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If you're finding it hard to do any of this, remember that it's what we receive before we can reflect it. If you're like, I'm having a hard time loving selflessly. I'm having a hard time respectfully lifting up. I'm having a hard time obeying my parents or being kind to my kids. Then it begins with what Christ has done and who he is. And the prayer needs to be, Lord, help me receive more deeply these realities so that I can reflect this in my home. This is the, the invitation and call to God's design and desire for our homes. Now, it, it goes on here, and I'm going to kind of go over this somewhat quickly, where it says in, in verse 22, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Do not work only while being watched. It's important to note here that some think Paul's silence on this is his condoning of slavery. Slavery did exist in biblical times, just as slavery more than ever exists today. And it's not just condoning slavery. Scripture fully speaks to that. And yet it's through the example of Christ that the apostles understood that the greatest means for social and cultural change was the personal spiritual transformation through the power of the gospel. That sometimes we think of the gospel only in terms of changing our society, changing our culture. But Paul isn't speaking to that. He was saying in the midst of a broken culture, in the midst of our broken worlds, how should we conduct ourselves? And this is what he is speaking to not condoning. And so I want to look at these verses more in the context of an employer-employee context. So employees, what's it saying for us? That when you go to work, listen to your boss and don't work only while they're watching you. 
You, you know the feeling like you're standing around chatting, then your boss turns the corner and it's like, hurry up, look busy. It's like, no, as a believer, work hard. Show up one time. Do your job. Do it well. Work as though your boss were Christ himself. Like, this is what it means then to follow Christ. As, as an employer, it's saying, look, deal justly and fairly. Don't show favoritism. Same consequences, whether they're friends or not. Compensate fairly. It's talking about the way we treat one another. And so I want to call us back to think about in these relationships at home and at work, what does it mean for Jesus to be over everything? Like in conclusion, what do you need to take with you this morning? What aspect, if, if you're a wife or desire to be a wife one day, what does it mean and look like in word and deed to respectfully lift up your husband? If you're a husband or desire to be a husband one day, then what does it look like for you now to consider what it means to selflessly and sacrificially love someone else? Not just what they can do for you, but love within the covenant of marriage is a laying down of ourselves for the good of another. For, for parents here, in your words and in your actions, how are you, are you exasperating your children? Or are you kindly and compassionately lifting them up? That when Jesus is exalted over family and work, we can build our home according to God's design and desire. This is how we apply everything that we've been learning in the weeks prior to walk in a manner that will lead to our flourishing in his glory. Let's pray.